Chapter 10 of The Friendship of Anne, a story by Ellen Douglas Deland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The evening proved to be one of the most delightful that either Sydney or Elsie had ever passed. They did not have supper until very late, for it was almost eight o'clock when Mrs. Tracy's other sons arrived the trains having been delayed by the storm which continued to rage with unabated fury. Hugh was older than Alec and had just entered Harvard Law School. Jim was younger and was at boarding school. They all came home to spend Thanksgiving with their mother, to whom it was easy to see they were devoted, treating her with a deference and a courtesy which were charming and at the same time as their best and dearest friend their father had been dead for several years it was certainly a novel and unexpected development in their affairs for sydney and elsie to find themselves in such a household the night before this they had been seated at the long bare table at school dutifully eating their bread and butter and stewed prunes Tonight they were guests of a lady whom they both already admired with all the ardor of their schoolgirl hearts, for even Elsie, who did not so easily give her affection as Sydney, had been won at once by Mrs. Tracy's kindness and hospitality. They were seated at a bountiful supper table in a spacious room where the massive mahogany sideboard and table, the quaint high-backed chairs, the family portraits on the walls, and the dainty silver and glass and china, and the soft light shed by the candles in the tall silver candlesticks made the scene a sort of homelike fairyland to them if such an extraordinary combination as home and fairyland can be imagined. Added to this was the companionship of four boys who appeared to be the nicest and jolliest four boys ever gathered together at one supper-table, and this wonderful change in the fortunes of Sydney and Elsie had been brought about by being caught in a snowstorm what are you thinking about miss stuart asked alec i have been watching you and you haven't said anything for five minutes and you look as if you were pondering affairs of state i was thinking what a lucky thing it was that elsie and i went to walk this afternoon and that we didn't take our muffs if we had muffs elsie's hands wouldn't have been cold and she wouldn't have fainted, and you wouldn't have brought us here instead of taking us back to the school. And, oh, everything would have been horrid instead of simply perfect as it is. They all laughed at her enthusiasm. The moral of it is, never carry a muff, said Alec. And the best part of it all is, added Sydney, that mrs tracy didn't talk alphabetically why we could discuss zebras if we wanted to what on earth do you mean and why should you want to discuss zebras asked hugh i don't i never thought they were in the least interesting 
but you know Miss Wickersham has a new topic for every night, and we think she goes straight through the alphabet. When you are obliged to discuss something beginning with a G, for instance, you long to change the subject and bring up zebras. Zebras would be hard for me to talk about as anything else, remarked Elsie mournfully. I don't seem to know a thing about any subject Miss Wickersham chooses. Last night it was glaciers. She must have felt the approach of the storm and the cold wave, said Hugh, laughing. What on earth did she say about glaciers? Oh, she discoursed about them, and I must confess I didn't half listen. And then when she pounced on me and asked me what was the most remarkable fact in connection with them, I couldn't think of anything to say except they were composed of ice. Did anybody answer right? asked Jim, who was deeply interested. Yes, of course. Bertha Macy did, said Sidney. She always says the right thing. Yes, said Elsie. She is Miss Wickersham's favorite scholar, for that very reason. She told about the slow movement of glaciers, and she knew all about somebody's husband who was lost in one, and twenty years later the wife went to the place in the Alps and waited, and presently around came the glacier and her husband was in it. Alive? asked Jim, in awestruck tones, and then was overwhelmed by the roar of laughter from his brothers and Miriam. You silly, they cried. Oh, you little tiny kid. What kind of school do you go to, anyway? The same one you went to yourselves, retorted Jim, and I must say you're not much of an advertisement for St. Paul's. So Bertha Macy is a favorite, is she? said Mrs. Tracy a moment later when the laugh had again subsided. I had a note from Anne tonight, brought by Thomas when he came with your bags, asking me if she could bring her tomorrow night. Of course I am very glad to have her do so. The more the merrier is the rule in the house. Elsie, I want you to be here too. Now, my dear, don't say you can't, for we all know you can. We will settle all that tomorrow morning. How does Anne get along in the conversation at supper? asked Alec. Does she know anything about glaciers or zebras? She is always very bright and says something funny, said Elsie, after waiting a moment for Sydney to speak. Sydney, however, was silent, and her face had grown scarlet. Of this she was perfectly well aware, which naturally made her blush more deeply than ever, until her crimson cheeks were noticeable to everyone. Jim stared at her, and, with the candor of the small boy, was about to comment upon it, but Alec diverted his mind by a timely allusion to football as played at St. Paul's school. Privately, Alec was wondering what the trouble was. He had already noticed that whenever Anne's name had been mentioned, Sidney Stewart had appeared very much embarrassed. Alec Tracy was a young man of keen power of observation, and very little escaped him. 
Nothing more was said on the subject, for Mrs. Tracy began to speak of something else, and Sydney's cheeks had time to cool. In the evening, games were played until bedtime, and then the girls were taken by Mrs. Tracy to the guest room in which she had already established them. "'I hope you will rest well in my old four-poster,' she said as she bade them good night. "'I can't tell you how pleased I am to have you here. "'I want you to stay with me until the day after tomorrow. "'I will make it all right with Miss Wickersham. "'You must just make up your minds to be my guests until Friday morning. "'Good night, my dears.' She left them without giving them time to reply. "'What are we to do about it, Elsie?' asked Sydney, sitting in the big chintz-covered rocking chair and looking very anxious. "'Or rather, what am I to do about it? It is all right for you to stay, but how can I without explaining? Or something?' Mrs. Tracy will think it so queer when Anne gets here and is so cool and distant, the way she has been lately. Elsie surveyed her friend for an instant without replying. Then she began to brush her hair with a vigor that bade fair to pull it out by the roots. You made me mad, she said at last. Why, Elsie, exclaimed Sydney, much amazed. Yes, you made me mad. I think you are a perfect goose. I should like to know why, said Sydney, with as much dignity as she could muster when on the verge of tears. Well, I will tell you why. Elsie ceased brushing, and her hair, which was very thick, hung like a bush around her face. Here we are in this perfect house with that dear, perfect Mrs. Tracy doing everything for us, and those nice boys and everything lovely, and you go and make yourself miserable over Anne. What Anne thinks and does and says, and what she is going to think and do and say. What difference does it make, anyway? You know you haven't done anything wrong. Whatever... The trouble is that all of this fuss is about. There doesn't seem to be anything very wicked. I am sure I can't believe you have done anything dreadful or you would be the very one to own up to it. You are making a terrible mystery of whatever you think it is. But if you must do that, why you must. But... As to being in such a state about Anne, and whether she is going to like your being here, why, I think it isn't worth while. Let her come and be cool if she wants to. Who cares? Just be independent. I am sure I should not be so much affected by any girl's opinion, no matter how fond I was of her. Do get up a little spirit, Sydney. Don't be such an idiot. Sydney was so surprised by the sudden attack that she forgot to be angry. At one time she had been very near crying, but that danger was successfully passed, and then the excellent sense of Elsie's remarks gradually became evident to her. After all, why should she care so much? 
If she had done nothing wrong, why should she tremble so beneath Anne's displeasure? She would not. She rose from the rocking chair and cast her arms about Elsie's neck. You are perfectly hateful to scold so, but a dear all the same, she said. I believe I will take your advice. Good, said Elsie, very much pleased. She was afraid she had said almost too much in her zeal, and she was greatly relieved to find that Sydney took it so good-naturedly. When they awoke the next morning, it was still snowing, but by eleven o'clock it ceased and there were signs of clearing. It had drifted badly and lay in great masses against the windows on one side of the house and was on a level with the fence in some places, while in others there was not so much to be seen. The boys were out early digging paths and investigating the state of affairs as far as they could penetrate. They reported the worst storm they had ever known, in which Thomas agreed with them. No one had passed the house as yet, and it would be impossible to go over the road until it was broken out by the town sledges, which were always sent out with oxen and men in such times as these. The girls went out for a time and did some digging and snowballing, but it was very cold and they were not sorry to come indoors and help Mrs. Tracy with her preparations for the evening. She was an old-fashioned housekeeper, and when company was expected, she washed the extra china and silver herself, and in this she was glad to have the assistance of the two young girls. Now I suppose you will wish to get your best frocks, or whatever you intend to wear tonight, she said, when the last cup had been carefully wiped, and the last fork placed with its mates in the silver basket. The sun seems to be trying to break through the clouds now, and I have no doubt that it will clear within an hour or so. Snowstorms don't last very long, which is fortunate when they are as bad as this. But the question of getting over the road to the school is a serious one. We will have the sleigh out this afternoon and see what can be done. If we can't get there, you will have to contend yourself with what you have on. You both look very nice, and I can lend you some bits of lace and tulle to wear around your necks. It was quite the fashion in those days for even very young girls to turn their collars and wear folds of white tulle or a lace fichu crossed in front when they wished to appear a little more elaborately dressed in the evening thus making themselves look years older than girls of the present day of the same age. Anne Talbot was an object of the envy and admiration of the whole Wickersham school because she had a blue silk dress with a train, and although simply made, the waist was cut in the style described. Sydney and Elsie knew that she intended wearing this gown to the Thanksgiving party, and naturally were anxious to dress as well as they could themselves. 
so they hoped that it would be possible to reach the school and procure their possessions. The Thanksgiving turkey, with all its attendant good things, was eaten at one o'clock, an early hour being chosen in order that there might be time for something of a sleigh ride before dark. The big three-seated sleigh with two horses came to the door as soon as dinner was eaten, and well wrapped up in fur garments, the party set forth. Each seat held three persons comfortably, and Mrs. Tracy's plan was to go to the school and ask Anne Talbot to take the sleigh ride with them, while at the same time Sidney and Elsie could get what they needed for the evening. When they reached the schoolhouse, she went indoors with them to explain matters to Mrs. Wickersham. It was always impossible to resist Mrs. Tracy's appeals, and Miss Wickersham agreed at once to all that she desired, so that the girls went up to their rooms, and Anne was sent for to come to the parlor and see her cousin. She ran downstairs upon receiving the summons and met the girls as they were going up. Hola, Anne, said Sidney pleasantly. We've had the greatest adventures. Did you hear how we were caught in the storm and your cousin rescued us and drove us home? Yes, said Anne, without stopping. She scarcely looked at Sidney and said no more. She continued on her way to the parlor. Miss Wickersham excused herself when she came in, and Anne was left alone with her cousin. She hardly spoke to me, whispered Sidney, as they continued on their way to their rooms. Her eyes were full of tears. Well, what of it? Don't forget you made up your mind about last night. Just don't care. Elsie's tone as she gave these orders was severe. But it is easier for some people to resist from caring than it is for others. While Sydney's common sense told her that Elise's advice was excellent, her warm and loving nature suffered keenly. However, she hastily dried her eyes before many tears had had time to gather and went to her room. Fortunately, Bertha Macy was not there. She was so occupied with her preparations for the evening and with her thoughts about Anne that she did not notice the changed aspect of the room until she was about to leave it. Then she suddenly discovered that it looked different. The other table was empty and so was the bureau which had been Bertha's. Her pictures and books were gone. In fact, there was nothing to be seen which belonged to Bertha. What could it mean? Sydney scarcely dared hope that Bertha had been given another room, but it certainly seemed so. She went out into the corridor carrying the box in which she had packed her dress and met Elsie, who was also laden with a box. Good, exclaimed Elsie. You must be glad, and so am I. What about? Why, haven't you heard? Bertha Macy has been moved to Julia Clark's room. And where is Julia's roommate going? She hasn't any. The girl who was there, Mary Allen, 
has gone home and isn't coming back. You know she hasn't been well, and they suddenly decided to take her out of school. I believe they have been thinking about it, but Mary herself didn't know it until yesterday, and she left just after dinner. Miss Wickershams are worried for fear she was blocked up in the storm. Bertha asked right away if she could be moved to Julia's room, and Miss Wickersham said she could. She would let Bertha do anything, said Sidney. Well, I am glad. And you suppose I shall have a room all to myself now? I don't know, said Elsie. She had hoped that Sidney would wish her to come to it. Evidently, this idea did not come to her. Certainly Elsie would not suggest it herself. There was no time for further conversation, for Mrs. Tracy was waiting for them. When they entered the parlor, Anne immediately rose. Goodbye, Cousin Gertrude, she said. We will be there in good time for supper. We are going to have a sleigh from the livery stable to take us and come for us. I am sorry you will not go this afternoon, said Mrs. Tracy. Her face was graver than usual, and her voice was not very cordial. She was evidently displeased about something. Oh, you have plenty without me, said Anne lightly, but it was good of you to ask me. She left the room. Mrs. Tracy, said Sidney impulsively, I suppose Anne is not going slaying because I am. I don't know for certain what all the trouble is, but Anne is very angry with me about something, and I think it is something which I can't very well explain. But she ought to be the one to go with you and not I, for she is your cousin. Now do take her and let me stay at home. Please do. I shall not do anything of the kind, said Mrs. Tracy. You and Elsie are already my guests, and I am delighted to have you. I wanted Anne, too. If she chooses to stay at home, she has a perfect right to do so. But I shall certainly not urge her to come. Don't think anything more about it. Sydney, I suppose it is a girl's quarrel of some sort, and it will all be smoothed over in time. Don't worry. If you can tell me your side of it, perhaps I can straighten the matter out. When we get home, there may be a chance for us to talk. But now we must go, for the boys will think we are never coming. They were received by the boys with loud exclamations of reproach. We thought Wicky must have gobbled you up for her Thanksgiving dinner, said Alec, very audibly. My dear boy, she will hear you, remonstrated his mother. But where is Anne? he demanded. She can't come slaying, but she will be with us tonight. Can't come slaying? I wonder what's in the wind. I never knew Anne to decline a sleigh ride before. And Anne, from an upper window watching the party drive away, was almost sorry that she had not yielded to her cousin's persuasions. It is such fun to go with the Tracy boys, she said to herself, 
and Fred Merriman, too. It is too bad, but of course I couldn't. Feeling as I do about Sydney, it would not be right. If she had only owed up to everything, I might have forgiven her. But I simply can't have anything to do with a girl who is so awfully dishonorable. It is as much as I can do to go to Cousin Gertrude's tonight. But there will be so many there, I shan't have to have anything to do with Sydney. It would be different on a sleigh ride. I might have to sit next to her. What a great piece of luck it was for those two girls to get caught in the storm yesterday and be rescued by Alec and taken to that house. End of chapter 10 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.